Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Ah, uh, yes, that great big Republican tax cut plan unveiled today. It ain't going to happen. They still don't have their stuff together. They don't know what to do, and they don't know how to pay for it. What do you say? Hello, everybody. The gang that can't shoot straight <clears throat> does it again. Great to see you today on the Bill Press Show. That's me, and you are part of the show. It's great to see you on the first day of November. I hope you had a great Halloween. Either picked up or gave away a lot of candy last night at the door, trick or treat. I don't know about where you live, but Washington, um, it's probably, I think, half the grown-ups in Washington uh, wear some kind of a costume on uh, Halloween. I felt out of place Last night, actually. You didn't wear your Bernie costume? I showed up I showed up at a restaurant. I was the only person in there who didn't have a mask on. I mean, <laughs> I got, whoa. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, Don't are, let the Halloween people shame you, Bill. No. Halloween sucks, okay? Really? Just don't let them shame you. God, what a grouch today. Damn. Man. Halloween's awful. You know what it is. That's because Jamie doesn't have any kids. Jamie doesn't have any kids. Uh, That's it. it Halloween is is great when you have kids. When you have kids, yeah. You'll learn one day. If you get into it. All right. So (laughs) here we go with a lot to talk about today. Yes, indeed. uh, Reverberations still continue to shake Washington in the wake of uh, the indictments on Monday of Robert Mueller. Rick Gates and the guilty plea of George Papadopoulos, who now, according to the Trump White House, they never even heard of him. Um, <laughs> he had nothing to do with the campaign, nothing to do with Donald Trump, nothing to do with Jeff Sessions, nothing to do with Russia. As far as they're concerned, he doesn't even exist. Who? Uh, yes. So we'll give you all the latest today on many different fronts and look forward to hearing from you. Your comments on Twitter keep us going. And you send those on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Los Angeles, where last night was game six of the World Series. My Dodgers. Houston Astros got off to an early start. And then later on in the game, the Dodgers came back. They finished the game three to one, which means. 
will be, be a, a game, game seven, seven tonight. That happens tonight yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. This has been a very, very exciting World it's Series. Good. It's a, been a good World Series. You're right. And, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think we can officially Bo- say these teams. are the two best teams in baseball. Does uh, does that Dodgers bandwagon have any more room on it uh, as we head into Game 7, Bill? <laughs> well, I'm on it. But, you know, I'm not sure. I think the Nats at their best could have played better. Well, the Nats better, at their best, yeah. Could have played better than Could have beaten either of these. I, I do think yeah. that. No. But yeah. it doesn't matter because they didn't play their they didn't best get in the there, playoffs. But, so but I, it, I think that like the Dodgers and the Astros are both phenomenal no, teams. Whoever wins, nobody can complain about this World Series. Yeah. It's true. I in terms of that. baseball. Yeah, I agree you know, Good baseball. So we'll see tomorrow. I, I got a surprise we'll last night because I watched my Dodgers for a while. And my, Dodgers, <laughs> my Dodgers! <laughs> but they, I, you know, I was a little worried because they didn't seem to have their s- steam up. You know, right? you, should, you should fly out to L.A. for Game 7, sit next to your I buddy Larry should. King. Yeah, yeah there you go. Go. Right, yeah. There you go. Uh, one La final. King. La one, King. Oh, King. Uh, <laughs> one final Halloween story because Halloween was last night. You did you, you bought candy, I assume, for the house to give out to the trick-or-treaters? Five pounds. You bought five pounds of candy? Wow. It's mm-hmm. a lot of candy. Give away right? all of it? Yes. That's a lot of candy. Wow. Not to one kid. Here's the thing. The average American spent $169.81 on Halloween. Yeah. $169.81. Because it's not just candy. You've got the decorations. You've got the costume. They say they spent over $70 on costumes, which, no. $60 $60 on treats and about $40 on decorations. Uh, I've said this before. The only real place in the world to celebrate Halloween is West Hollywood, California. I believe that. West, I've been telling you, it is a national holiday. I bought beer instead. There you go. <laughs> Bye. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Happy November. What do you say, everybody? It is The Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 and welcome, uh, and a good day to you this uh, Wednesday, first day of November 2017. Uh, Feels uh, like just yesterday it was October. It does, doesn't it? Uh, I'm telling you how uh, that uh, time does fly, and we are with you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast, on this Wednesday from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV. How about it? And uh, on the great WCPT out in Chicago and Indiana Talks in Indiana. We are with you all the way with the news of the day. And thank you so much for being part of the program. Our podcast has just been breaking, shattering the glass ceiling every single day. Uh, so check it out for uh, to catch up with part of the show that you might have missed uh, in the morning or just to re-listen to some uh, interviews or whatever you wanted to uh, uh, take another look at, take another listen to. Uh, and you go to our podcast by go to BillPressShow.com or anywhere you get your podcast, uh, iTunes or whatever. Uh, it's really booming, and so is uh, Patreon. Uh, people excited about our making of Bernie Sanders a special that we put up on uh, podcast. My parting shot is there every day as well. Uh, and Peter, how do people do it? 
Go to patreon.com slash BP show. All we're asking from you is $5 a month. $5 a month gets you access to your daily commentary that you do, your parting shot. And but also the making of Bernie Sanders, which is our special podcast series where you had so much good access to the Bernie Sanders campaign during the primary that you called in a lot of your friends and a lot of people you knew to come in and tell us the story of how that happened. So right now... How it started, how it uh, chugged along, and then suddenly how it took off and how it ended, the yeah. whole thing. Yep. So right now you could get... You, if you go there and you sign up and become a patron, you could hear your behind-the-scenes story of the, the uh, gathering, the meeting... At your house, where Bernie and his advisors met with... The birth of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Happened right in your house. Yeah. And will you yeah. tell that story about who was there, what was talked about, and, and it was really sort of insightful. And we also put up, uh, late last week, the interview that you did with Tad Devine, the yeah. senior strategist for right. the Bernie Sanders campaign. And you talk about sort of all these different points along the way of the campaign and what the Bernie Sanders campaign was thinking. Yeah. We still have and, other interviews we're going to be dropping every week. Uh, Nina Turner, you sat down with her, which is for a great interview. Larry Cohen, who was the first, uh, the head of the first labor uh, mm -hmm. union to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders. Michael Briggs, uh, former press, press secretary, former press secretary. traveled uh, every step of the way with Bernie. Yeah. yeah he was right at Bernie's side. I have to say, it's really, really good. And if you're a political junkie and you like to hear about these things that happen after the fact and get a little... Uh, behind-the-scenes detail of what happened with this campaign, go check it out. Patreon.com slash BP Show. Yeah, and I told you, the only downside of having that uh, that uh, uh, launch of the Bernie Sanders campaign in our living room is our, the, the sofa is just not very comfortable these days because it has that bronze plaque right <laughs> in the middle of it, you know. that Bernie all, was here. Bernie sat here. I sat here, Bill. <laughs> right there in that very chair. <laughs> we got it. All right. Yes, indeed. Uh, we've got some great guests for you today and uh, lots to talk about. Alexi McCammon will be joining us from Axios, political uh, re deputy news editor, actually, at uh, uh, at Axios. And then uh, our good buddy Sabrina Singh, Siddiqui, rather, Sabrina Siddiqui, from The Guardian. will be here as a friend of Bill for our second hour. And then uh, we'll be joined by Ryan Riley from The Huffington Post. Looking at the top stories uh, yes, Republicans, uh, <clears throat> in an embarrassing move, having to delay the unveiling of their big tax cut plan today. Re uh, the Trump White House running fast to try to distance themselves from Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, and especially from George Papadopoulos, whom they claim they never even heard of. Uh, John Kelly is still in hot water over his comments on the Civil War and the White House rushing to defend him and once again saying, how dare anybody challenge anything that a four-star general says. Um, sadly, uh, the other top story of the day, and let's start there just to give you the uh, update from New York City, uh, an outright terrorist attack in New York. It is something that we've seen happen, uh, particularly in London. Um, you know, every time it happened in London or in Paris, uh, an attack like this, uh, a single individual, uh, what they use the word, I hate the word, inspired by, they say, by ISIS, uh, deciding on his own to uh, do his own little act of terror uh, and using uh, not a plane, not a gun, not a bomb, but a car, or in this case, again, a pickup truck, 
uh, just like we saw those attacks outside Parliament Building in London. Uh, this was in New York City. In lower Manhattan on the west side, the West Side Highway, which I know well, uh, he uh, about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon in the pickup truck uh, pulled over into a bicycle lane and just went down the bicycle lane, uh, striking people right and left, uh, killing eight people, injuring 11. Five of those killed were a group of Argentinians who were here uh, in New York celebrating their 30th high school reun- reunion. Um, six of them came up. Five out of six were, were killed. It's a real, real tragedy um, uh, this, by this 29-year-old person from Uzbekistan who had been in the United States since 2010 and had been an Uber driver for the last six months. Um, uh, he jumped out of the, his uh, pickup truck brandishing some fake weapons and waving them in the air and um, chanting the, the dreaded phrase, Alu Akbar, uh, and was shot in the abdomen by police and is now uh, in custody. But uh, it's, it's being called the worst terrorist attack in New York. It is the worst terrorist attack in New York since uh, September 11, um, uh, a dreaded day. But, you know, New Yorkers were out in force yesterday and said, we're not going to let this stop us from normal activity. Broadway was going and everything else. But it's still a shocker, and, and it just proves how vulnerable we are, all are, no matter where, no matter when. Uh, to these people who um, hate us and would do us harm. You know, we, we've done such a good job uh, here at, at home with this stuff and to try and prevent these terror attacks. Yeah, but you know, you knew that we're vulnerable. We're, like that. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, we've done a good job, but I am amazed that this hasn't happened more often. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we pride ourselves on our freedom. We like to sort of not give up our personal freedom so that we can, we can live free. And, and, this is yeah. just one of those things that I I hate to say it, but like we're kind of used to now. Well, yeah, and sort of we almost have to, yeah, in a sense, because you can't hide up. At, you know, what are we going to do? Hang in your house and right and and, re, and refuse to go out. But particularly with transportation, every time you get on a bus, get on a train, get on a plane, get on a subway, right? Yeah. Get on a bike. <laughs> um, you uh, are you. It, it, it something like this could happen. A very sad day in in New York yesterday. The police were right there on top of it, Mayor De Blasio, uh, condemning it as a cowardly act. And um, and again, we've seen, no doubt, um, New York strong. New York will bounce back. Yes, indeed. So, uh, still lots and lots of reaction to um, Monday's action by. Robert Mueller, Chief Counsel Robert Mueller, in, uh, again, filing charges, indictments on counts of uh, 12 counts of conspiracy against the United States on laundering money against Paul Manafort and his business associate, uh, Rick Gates. It dominates the show again today. And of the news, totally nobody knew this, uh, that a couple of weeks ago, uh, Trump campaign aide George Papadopoulos had pleaded guilty to lying about the FBI about all of his efforts to secure top meetings between Russian officials and the uh, Trump campaign. Um, by the way, one, one thing we certainly found out is, I think, we found out a lot about Donald Trump by these indictments. I mean, we found out that uh, just as we suspected or just as we knew, maybe he's a worse liar than we thought we found that out because he's lied about 
There were no connections at all by anybody around him and any, anybody having anything to do with the Russian government lied about the fact this is a total witch hunt. This is nothing but the Democrats um, wanting to refusing to accept the fact that Hillary lost on and on and on. We learned that about Donald Trump. Um, we also <laughs> learned a lot about Robert Mueller. I think one thing we learned about some of the things we learned about Robert Mueller is he is one tough SOB, and he is uh, here to stay. He is determined. He is here to stay. Uh, that famous phrase that one of his uh, attorneys told the judge in the George Papadopoulos hearing. He said, "There is a large scale." ongoing investigation of which this case is but a small part. That should put the fear in the hearts of Michael Flynn uh, and Carter Page and Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner and maybe Donald Trump himself. I think we learned that Robert, that that the strongest man and the most powerful man in Washington today is not Donald Trump. It's Robert Mueller. Yeah. Uh, we also learned that Robert Mueller can keep a secret. Nobody knew that they were talking to Papadopoulos. Nobody knew that he had actually that he had pleaded guilty. That they had a court hearing where he pleaded guilty. Nobody knew that he's been cooperating with the uh, special counsel's office for like the last month or so uh, or more. Um, meanwhile, yesterday again, um, if you go back to um, the White House briefing yesterday, uh, Sarah Sanders saying uh, as far as um, Papadopoulos did, um, you know, that's that's his problem. Nothing to do with us. What Papadopoulos did was lie, and that's on him, not on the campaign, and we can't speak for that. Yeah, well, the <laughs> fact is, wait. <laughs> yeah, he did lie to the FBI, but he lied to the FBI about things that he did when he was part of the Trump campaign. He was, when Donald Trump, let's go back to this again, when Donald Trump, was criticized for not having any foreign policy advisors. He turned to his co-chair, Sam Clovis, big old Sam. Big-ass Sam Clovis. Big-ass Sam, and asked Sam to put together a group of foreign policy advisors real fast. Yeah, how'd that work out? Well, one of them was George Papadopoulos. Donald Trump went to the Washington Post and said, look, here's my team, my foreign policy team, including George Papadopoulos, oil and energy expert, Excellent guy, remember he said? Excellent guy. George Pop. This, this group was headed by Jeff Sessions. There are photographs of Papadopoulos with George Trump. Papadopoulos. There you go. He's an oil and energy consultant. Excellent guy. Excellent, Excellent guy. guy. Excellent guy. Excellent yeah. guy. So pictures of him with Trump, pictures of him sitting alongside of Jeff Sessions at a big dinner. Uh, the night, one couple of nights before the Republican convention, pictures of him with Jeff Sessions at the meetings of this foreign policy National Security Council. He was right in there. He goes to London. He's meeting with this Russian professor. He's meeting with this woman that the professor introduces him to. They promise they've got dirt on Hillary. There are emails back and forth between him and Clovis and him and Carter Page about the work he's doing trying to set up meetings. This idea right, that he had nothing to do with the campaign is just phony. And Robert Mueller's not going to buy it. And as far as Sam, now the Sam Clovis, who was encouraging, for who recruited Papadopoulos, who, by the way, had zero foreign policy credentials, 
his foreign policy credential was attending a model UN meeting uh, as a high school student. Uh, <laughs> Sam Clovis, who has probably not much more than foreign policy credentials than Papadopoulos, is the one who recruited him and encouraged him to keep these contacts up with the Russians. Good job, told him. Uh, and <laughs> you've done a heck of a job, Brownie. Uh, and then now Sam Clovis <laughs> has been nominated by the president to be the chief scientific advisor to the Department of Agriculture. He's not a scientist. He's a radio talk show host from Iowa, I think. I think that's right. Yeah. His credentials are from the school of many chins. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, Sam's a big boy. Uh, yeah, so I'm not a scientist, no scientific degree, and he's in line for this job with the Agriculture Department. And yesterday at the briefing, <clears throat> after all this comes out, that Clovis is the one who was, you know, like um, the master of George Papadopoulos. Is that going to, is he still up for this appointment, big job at Agricultural Department? I'm not aware that any change would be necessary. Oh, boy. (laughs) No change necessary. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Now, now the big question, though, is it's really being raised. By by the way, Fox News, Sean Heine last night, still calling it a witch hunt. I mean, they're they're still on this thing of their, their attack is, this is a witch hunt, and why aren't they talking about Hillary? Why aren't they investigating Hillary? Right. Uh, It's just absurd that they keep going down this track. Right. In fact, Hannity even called Monday night. He slipped and called her President Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because they're really, really trying to change the subject after Mueller's uh, indictments on Monday. um, Those that that effort to change the subject is wasn't going very fast in any there anyhow. But it's definitely dead now. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. They ought to stop trying. But the Washington Post main story this morning is uh, one thing that's coming out of this is apparently inside the White House, there's a big split inside and outside the Trump advisors, a big split about what they ought to do about Robert Mueller. Steve Bannon urging the president to crack to really speak out against Mueller and attack him uh, for being biased and for being partly responsible for the uranium deal and for leading this witch hunt uh, and keeping this thing going when there's really nothing there. Other advisors are saying, no, Mr. President, just lay off Robert Mueller because you can't win this battle with a special counsel. It got some reaction on um, Capitol Hill yesterday, but first from the White House, here's Jay Sekulow. Remember, he's the attorney uh, hired to represent Donald Trump and all. one of the attorneys hired to represent. He's got an army of attorneys. Yeah, he does. So outside attorney. Uh, advising Donald Trump, saying at, at this time, no talk, he says, about firing Mueller. There is no conversation regarding firing Robert Mueller, and there's no basis to fire Robert Mueller on anything that we've seen. So I'm, I will say this. The president has not indicated to, to me or to anyone else that I work with that he has any intent on terminating Robert Mueller. And uh, <laughs> Senator Dianne Feinstein saying... If they go there, that would be a huge mistake. I do believe that the special counsel is as strongly supported as I have ever seen in my time in the Congress and in the Senate, and um, that it would be a big mistake to tamper with that. 
Uh, big mistake to tamper with it. In fact, uh, but Richard Burr, who is the Republican chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, with Democrat uh, Mark Warner as the ranking Democrat, Richard Burr says, um, you know, he doesn't think they'll fire Mueller, but can't be sure. Ron Rosenstein is the only person that can fire Bob Mueller. And are you confident that there's not going to be pressure on Rosenstein to do that? I, I can't be confident on anything. No, I wouldn't be confident well, in that. Yeah, right. And he, he's right. You can't be confident on anything with the Trump White House. No. I mean, that's why I, I've said Trump will find a way to get rid of Mueller. I don't know how it's – I mean, I don't know how exactly. But we're dealing with a different kind of president. We're different dealing with a new kind of politics. We're dealing with a new kind of corruption. And I just don't – I mean, Donald Trump is not the guy to yeah. sit around and wait and see what happens. He will do something. He will find a way to get out of this, even if it's temporarily. Because remember – the only reason we're even in this situation to begin with is because he fired Jim Comey. He fired James Comey, right. Which was a phenomenal, colossal self-own, which yeah. he will continue to do. He's not going to learn his lesson. I, I'm not, uh, again, I'm not sure Donald Trump will, but I know one thing. He is, and the White House, White House is continuing to orchestrate people to under try to undermine Mueller with this whole talk about witch hunt and why he's not talking about Hillary and since he was director of the FBI when the uranium deal happened, that he somehow is responsible for this uranium deal. I mean, that all that nonsense. Uh, they'll keep that going, and and uh, and Trump is stirring that up. He, Peter, it would be remarkable if he exercised restraint yeah. on Mueller. It yeah. would be unlike Donald Trump. Yeah, it would exactly. be so unlike Trump-like that I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen there. But certainly a lot of pressure by, by people close to him, and he still talks to Bannon all the time. Talk to him on Monday. Um, Bannon saying, you got to take this guy on because otherwise he's going to bring you down. Meanwhile, the other thing that keeps uh, churning up here, uh, reaction to uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly's comments on the Laura Ingram show, her debut show on Fox News on Monday night, where he went back to... Um, Refighting the Civil War. Yeah, that's what we need right now, just like uh, Donald Trump did in Charlottesville, saying, you know, there were a lot of good people in the KKK. Uh, and, of course, Donald Trump said a lot of people in the uh, uh, skinhead anti-Semites, too, among those people. Uh, and uh, John Kelly telling Laura Ingram, let's say, like Robert E. Lee, you know, he, he's, uh, he's one of my heroes. I would tell you that Robert E. Lee was an honorable man. Uh, he was a man that uh, gave up uh, gave up his country to fight for his state, which in 150 years ago was more important than country. It was always loyalty to state first back in those days. Uh, now we're, it's different today. He is reinventing history and uh, reigniting uh, 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 issues and debate that we don't really re need right now. And, uh, and of course, John Kelly went on to say, to make this, this comment, uh, which has been repudiated by most historians in the last uh, 24 hours, uh, that we didn't need to have the Civil War if only the North would have compromised. The lack of an ability to compromise uh, led to the Civil War. And uh, men and women of good faith on both sides made their stand where their conscience uh, had them make their stand. 
as several people said yesterday, uh, and in fact, one of them was the congresswoman, Frederica Wilson, that he's been tangling with in Florida, uh, but who just asked a simple question. Okay, what was the possible compromise between keeping people as slaves or give, letting, giving them their freedom? Yeah. What, what is the compromise? Yeah. You Can, might say one compromise was in the Constitution that they're not even a full citizen. They're just two-thirds of a citizen and don't have the right to vote. Was that a compromise that he wants? I mean, we made that compromise. A, a lot of people have said this, but Ken Burns, documentarian, yes. uh, who who has talked about the Civil War before, put out this tweet well, yesterday afternoon that says, many factors contributed to the Civil War. One caused it. Slavery. Slavery. By the way, that's significant because uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday at the briefing defending, well, we hear this, defending John Kelly, cites Ken Burns to help make her case. Uh, that's why um, Ken Burns felt compelled yeah. to come out and say so. So, again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, no, 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 I'm not going to debate the Civil War all over again. What was the compromise that could have been made? Uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to get into debating the Civil War, but I do know that many historians, uh, including Shelby Foote and Ken Burns' famous Ooh, Civil War documentary, see, yeah. agreed that a failure to compromise was a cause of the Civil War. Uh, there are a lot of historians that think that, and there are a lot of different versions of those compromises. I'm not going to get up here and relitigate the Civil War. Uh, yes. Now, remember, it was a couple oh, of weeks ago. Uh, God, that's so infuriating. It, it We're is. in 2017, yeah. and we are talking about the Civil War and yeah. who was right and who was wrong. Right. And again, suggesting that there was a possible compromise between slavery, over slavery, right? By the way, you, you, the either, way. Tr you either own them, treat them as slaves, or you give them their freedom. What is the compromise? Take slavery out of it, which I know is impossible to do. Take slavery out of it. But then there's another issue. Yeah. What were they fighting for? What was the Confederacy fighting for? It was to completely undo the entire country. Exactly. Yeah. Then the other issue gets to be uh, our nation versus 13, 14, 15, whatever, individual states yeah. just running their own direction. Yeah. And, you know... Um, Abraham Lincoln said the nation is more important. Uh, and we won that battle. We don't need to relitigate it uh, today. For um, all the people that talk about what a great country this is and wrap themselves in the flag and yeah, how, da well, how dare these football players take a knee during the national anthem because we love our country so doggone much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now they're now they're actually <laughs> defending the people who tried to <laughs> who undo tried to the undo. country. Well, and yeah. this plays into the both sides argument that yeah. they used after Charlottesville, right? Because no, no, no. the side, the alt right or the neo Nazis, they want to see an all white country. This they want to do is... what the Confederacy wanted in the the Civil War. Yeah. John Kelly is the echo of Charlottesville. Everything he said. But finally, and talk about echoes. We remember it was a couple of weeks ago when John Kelly first got in trouble uh, by attacking uh, Congresswoman uh, Frederica Wilson down in Florida and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders defending him by saying it was – and he, and, and by the way, and when John Kelly lied about uh, a speech that the Congresswoman had given at the dedication of FBI building, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said how inappropriate it was uh, to challenge a four-star general. And if you want to do that, that's highly, highly inappropriate. She repeats this yesterday saying any criticism 
of John Kelly's remarks about the Civil War. Here she is. I think it is absurd and disgraceful to keep trying to make comments and take them out of context and mean something they simply don't. They didn't take them out of context. He's on national television. The video is there. The tape is there. We know what he said. I just played you what he said. It's not taken out of context. And it is not. I don't care if he has 18 freaking stars. Yeah. It's not dangerous. It's not disgraceful to criticize John Kelly. He has become nothing but a puppet, a political puppet of Donald Trump. He is as bad as Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon and Sean Spicer and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Not only was she saying wrong uh, and and stupid, it's dangerous. It's, it is dangerous to stand up there and say, you yeah. cannot criticize or no, question right. this man right. because he served in the military. Yeah. We thank him for his service. Mm. And that's where that's where it ends. <laughs> you should have stayed there. Uh, <laughs> well, we're just getting started uh, on this day. Don't forget, your comments, come on. Let us know what you think about the news of the day. Your feelings are, I'm sure, as strong as ours. And your comments and opinions are as important as ours. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll take a quick break and come back with Alexi McCammon from Axios. My guess is if you look at the records. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, November 1, uh, what do you say, folks? Great to see you today. It is the uh, Bill Press Show. Continuing with all the uh, news of the day from uh, our studio in the nation's capital right here uh, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, those great men and women of our firefighting departments uh, out there protecting American families every single day under the leadership of President Harold Schaidberger. And we salute them, thank them for protecting us, and thank them for the support of the program. And welcome to the studio from Axios Deputy News Editor uh, Alexi McCammon. Hi, Alexi. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Nice to see you good today. Good to see you guys. Uh, by the way, uh, just one little bit of news uh, we've been talking mostly about uh, the, still the, um, you know, the what do you say, the aftershock of uh, Robert Mueller's uh, indictments on Monday. Uh, but another little shocker is that the Republicans had were scheduled to release their big tax plan today. Today was the day President Trump said you're going to hear all about it on Wednesday, and they're going to get it passed by Thanksgiving. Ain't going to happen. Republicans are so split on this and haven't figured out how to pay for it that they have delayed that. We don't know until when, but it's not going to happen today. Meanwhile, back on the Mueller front, uh, Alexi, we've had lots of comments come in in the last I'm half sure. hour uh, from our listeners and viewers. Uh, Jamie? Let's begin on Twitter at BP Show. Our friend Susan Shepard talking overall about the Mueller investigation, saying 45 will figure out a way, 45 of course being Donald Trump, to take away Mueller's financing of this investigation. Mm. So Susan is no doubt concerned. That's one thing that people like 
Bannon and others, some of them, are suggesting that this is one way. Don't fire him. Just take his money away. That's right. We'll go to the YouTube chat room. Lots of you uh, speaking out in the chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Blair says, people keep trying to pretend this isn't about race in America and it's about class. Check the privilege at the door, please, and be honest with why and how Trump got in office. Larger overarching point, especially as we're talking about the Civil War and rehashing that. Jerry says Sarah Huckabee Sanders is worse than the others because she's completely aware of her lying and purposeful misleading of the American people. So keep those comments in coming in on Twitter at BP Show in the YouTube chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. So, Alexi, this uh, idea of taking away the funding, I mean, uh, again, the Washington Post lead article this morning on the front page up, up way above the fall, right at the very top is that there are advisors on inside and outside the White House who are on both sides of this, something some, you got to take on Mueller, which is classic Donald Trump, right. the way he took on James Comey and right. Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and everybody else. And others are saying, no, that would be really, really risky, dangerous. Just let him do his thing. What's right. going on? Uh, so I am not too well-versed about the taking away of the funding, but I think that, as you mentioned, that's one way he could sort of control this investigation by not firing him, which I think is what he really wants to do deep down, just in the same way he did with James Comey, but by removing the funding so that it's like, well, you have no resources to sort of make this investigation as broad as you would like and as broad as we all know that it's going to become. Um, I talked to various Democratic aides on the Hill, and their biggest worry immediately after the news broke on Monday about Mueller's indictments was that Trump will interfere. And you saw that in various statements from Chuck Schumer, Mark Warner, mm-hmm. um, who basically said, we need to uphold democracy and like Donald Trump cannot and should not interfere in any way. And so they're all really worried that he's going to fire him. And, you know, they're saying anything is possible with this president. We saw the way he fired James Comey. And now what they're telling me is that they are putting all faith in Rod Rosenstein to basically stand up to Donald Trump if it got to any point, whether that's removing funding or firing Mueller. Right. Here is, in fact, uh, Senator Schumer, uh, Senate Majority, uh, Minority, the Democratic leader, I should say, uh, yesterday talking again, warning about uh, no interference. The Mueller investigation is going to proceed along on its own. Uh, we hope there's no interference. Obviously, there'd be an outrage if there were. Uh, even among Republicans, there'd be some Republicans at any rate, an outrage. Right, exactly. Well, I think because it's not inconceivable that Trump would interfere. Right, right. He's Whether through tweets, right? I think it's also just his tweets from after the fact on Monday were inappropriate to comment on it in such a sort of casual, laissez-faire way via social media on something that is such an important investigation and such a serious matter, I think that was inappropriate to an extent. Um, And I think that everyone knows that Donald Trump at the end of the day will do what he wants to do. And we saw with James Comey, there wasn't seemingly a lot of thought behind firing him. Mm -hmm. And we all sort of thought that that was the big sort of like watershed moment. But now that this Mueller investigation is getting increasingly closer to Trump and will almost inevitably involve Trump in a way that he does not want, it would be no surprise for him to try to interfere in various ways. Right. So uh, meanwhile, we know um, the, the the White House defense in terms of the three individuals for Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, the defense is easy, that nothing to do with the campaign right. that happened before they came to work for the campaign. 
the contracts with the Ukrainian political party and the, all the money that they made and the money laundering. Um, let's give them that. I mean, I don't think that's really that clear because I think Paul right. Manafort was continuing to launder money while he was working for the campaign, maybe whatever. But if you if you give them that, then there's George Papadopoulos, right? Right. And they're still trying to say, George who, right? We never heard of him. So um, the um, Michael Caputo was one of the communication directors, if not the communication director for the campaign. Uh, he was on um, yesterday, I forget which show, Jamie. CNN New Day. That's right, New Day, yesterday morning. Again, saying, we never heard of this guy. The guy never landed on the campaign. He never had a role. He never got paid. So why he did Sam Clovis entertain he never did anything. <laughs> he never had a role, never part of the campaign. Deny, I mean, deny, deny. Yeah. yeah. There, yeah but there's the Washington Post article I think you referenced earlier in the show in which Trump only names five campaign advisors, and one of them is George Papadopoulos, and he's bragging about having him on the campaign. Not only that, he sent about half a dozen emails to Trump's foreign policy advisor campaign team about meetings with Russians. Like, if you don't know who he is, then how does he have access to emailing these folks on the foreign policy team? And how was he an official policy advisor for the campaign? Even so, like, this is not a good defense. Does that mean your campaign was just running amok and, like, you don't know what was going on the whole time? So then you are totally absolved of any responsibility? Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, that is the weakest defense, though. That is the weakest <clears throat> defense yeah. because yeah. that, like, I mean, but we, that's not surprising also because Paul Manafort was literally his campaign chairman and he's and they're trying to downplay his role. And he was the chairman of the campaign. Right. Like they and, and back to your point earlier about their defense of, well, Paul Manafort did this 10 years before he joined the campaign, right. yada, yada. I was talking to someone the other day who I think we'll talk about later, Tom Steyer, who referred to Paul Manafort as a career criminal. And I thought that was sort of a really good way to to show why this matters, right? You don't bring someone onto your campaign to be the right. chairman if they're considered a career right. criminal. I mean, they're painting him into, into being this career criminal or having these criminal activities a long, long time ago. So they're admitting he was a criminal before we hired him. Right, and we still hired him. And we st and we hired him well, anyway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We hired only the very best. The very best. The right. very best. Right. Right. Uh, politically right. savvy people. I mean, sure, the 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 twelve counts against Paul Manafort and Rick Gates are not explicitly linked to pro-Trump Russian collusion. That's not to say that Paul Manafort wasn't at the Trump Tower meeting with that Russian lawyer and Jared because Kushner was, and Donald right? Trump Jr. Because he was. There are reports in the Washington Post, and you know, I even spoke to Paul Manafort's spokesman yesterday, and he was like, Paul rejected those meeting invites from George Papadopoulos, and that was reported in the Washington Post a few months ago when that original article came out. So, like, I think that's clear. But I, what we need to look to now is whether or not there was follow-up after that Trump Tower meeting that Paul Manafort was involved in and that others were involved in and how much he knew and why he rejected it. If he came out and said, this is why I rejected these meetings, yeah. that could help him. Yeah. But mm -hmm. they're not saying <laughs> anything about right. that. And Plus, so we also have emails from uh, uh who's up for this big job at the Agricultural Department, encouraging Papadopoulos and saying, you know, good work, good work, keep going, whatever. Uh, and, right. and they knew they knew what he was trying to put together. Now, me, I can understand the great big meeting that he was put, but the summit between Trump and Putin, 
was not a good thing. Right. I mean, they, they were smart to get to stay away from that. But all these other smaller, lower level meetings right. to get dirt on Hillary, right. they were pushing him to, yeah, keep get get what you exactly. can. Exactly. Well, I think at, at the time they didn't realize, and I don't know if they do now, that like there's a difference between opposition research and like using a foreign government to collect dirt on your political opponent. Like that's just inviting foreign entities to meddle in the election, to change the results of the election in a way that threatens our democracy and sets a terrible standard and precedent. But, but of course, forward. Sarah Sanders Huckab argues that it's the opposition research, which is the real collusion because you pay for that. And trying to get dirt from foreign governments for free is not collusion. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, politics just, is money, so she always wants to bring it back to that. I mean, yeah. I mean, she, it's, it's just turning reality on its head, right? Well, totally. that's what she's good at. I have stopped watching the White House press briefings because I yeah. feel like I just don't learn anything, You're anything lied from them to. at all. That's You're why, lied to. That's why I've stopped going. I mean, I right. go maybe once a week just to keep my oar in the water, right? Right. But right. I have a press pass. I don't want them to take it away from me. But And more and more reporters are just say it's not worth going right. because she's just lying through her teeth every day. Right. Unabashedly, unashamedly, just lying. Right. And she's snarly and nasty about it, too. Well, and, you know, between the sort of miscommunications at the White House press briefings or, like, I often leave watching them and I feel like I don't have any more information, and Trump's tweets, like, those aren't – those are the only two sort of official statements we get that should be of substance and they never are or they rarely are. So it's really – it just – I feel like is not worth consulting those resources. By, by the way, you just mentioned Trump's tweets. Uh oh. I, I don't yeah. want to necessarily read all of his tweets because they're pretty grotesque. Is he out there this morning? morning but he's out there this morning. <laughs> I haven't picked up. Remember, we had a <coughs> terror attack oh. here in America yesterday, and oh. Donald Trump is tweeting about it. Uh, this morning, he talks about he essentially oh. blames Chuck Schumer for this. He says the terrorists came into our country through what is called a diversity visa lottery program, a Chuck Schumer beauty. I want merit-based, <clears throat> and then goes on to, to explain why he wants merit-based and tags Fox and Friends in two later tweets. I'm glad you brought that up because right now on MSNBC, Governor Cuomo and Trump's tweets, this is not the time to play politics. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's again, not. it's been exactly a month since the shooting in Las Vegas. It happened a month ago. And you remember what everybody said? Now's not the time to politicize this. Now's not the time to talk about this. He's politicizing this with the senator from New York. Right. Yeah. He, like, yeah. He's being a bully. 12 hours after, 16 hours after it happened? Right. I just, I think he doesn't really, I don't know. He His, his default is playing politics and being a bully. Yeah. Especially painting an us versus them situation. Especially with. Democrats, yeah. right? He's saying, this is a terrible thing that happened. I'm going to fix it. Democrats are obstructionists, and also it's their fault for everything, including <sighs> a terror attack, a random terror attack. Um, it, I mean, it's wholly unhelpful for him to play politics in this moment and yeah. to just blame the Democrats for everything when, you know, like terrorism threats are, are a real threat. As you mentioned, Las Vegas was just a month ago, which is yeah. mind-blowing to me because that is such a short amount of time for these two things to happen. And we still don't know so much about Las Vegas yeah. or Stephen Paddock, the shooter of Las Vegas, that would help us figure out how to move forward on legislation and different things. And instead of focusing on that and comprehensive you know, gun reform, oh. he's going to... Oh, no, it was no, a month no, no. ago. We forgot about it three weeks no, ago. No, you right. can't talk about guns. Right. Anybody has a right to buy 50 guns and right. hold them up in a hotel room and aim them at a concert crowd. I mean, come on. Can't do anything about that. 
Um, you mentioned Tom Steyer a little earlier. Uh, yes. He is a um, very wealthy California <laughs> very Democrat. Wealthy. Yes. Um, always talked about as a potential uh, uh, candidate um, for yes. Senate or for governor yes. or whatever. So far, he has not actually filed for anything, but he's always talked about. And he has taken on a sort of a crusade of his own right now. Tell us right. about it. Uh, so Tom Steyer on uh, October 20th, I believe, launched an impeachment petition to get Donald Trump out of office. And he strategically That's placed— That's actually not the way it works, you know, I mean, according to the Constitution. <laughs> right, right. It's, well, It's and, too bad. Uh, right, right. <laughs> because, you can't just have a petition. And I right. talked to him about this. I got to interview him uh, two days ago about this uh, petition. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, you know, it's really hard to make— impeachment actually happened and he's like well this will show that everyone wants it and I was like yeah I guess so um so what Tom Steyer told me in our interview is that in just 10 days his petition has received 1.1 million signatures of people from all 50 states who are in support of getting rid of Donald Trump um and you know Tom Steyer sort of argues that Donald Trump met the standard for impeachment a long time ago, but now with these 1.1 million signatures, as well as the Mueller indictments and news, it sort of brings impeachment to the table, he argues, in a way mm -hmm. that is uh, inevitable or inescapable. Like, he's saying that we have to all be talking about it now. Um, again, it's incredibly hard to make this happen, but I think this shows that, you know, a significant amount of people are in support of this movement and uh, that they're increasingly un unhappy with Donald Trump. Do you know, um, do, do you remember the name of the, of the web address or whatever of the, uh, if people want to sign a petition? Um, I, I have mean, it hyperlinked it. in my piece. It's something like yeah. impeachment now or, or. We'll check it out here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but, Peter's on the case. Right. But uh, that you brought up, you know, whether or not he would run for anything. And that's what's interesting. We talked about that. And he says he's not ruling anything out, which I think suggests he's going to run for something. Um, but that he's trying to do or focus on doing whatever he thinks will make the biggest impact. And right now he says that's his petition. And so that leads me to believe that when their initial goal was just to get one million signatures and they've now surpassed that in 10 days, he will sort of bring this impeachment petition to where he wants it to be and then pursue uh, but a I Senate think But isn't there another wrinkle to this uh, petition, which is he's saying that anybody who's, any Democrat who's running for office has to, like, sign a petition or else right. Democrats should not support them. He's so, taking a, a very like, hard stance on this and, and you know, is really is jazzed up about this test, petition. I know. Also, anybody who signs it, it's needtoimpeach.com. Anybody oh. who signs it, you give them their first name, your last name, your zip code, and your email. So when he does run for something, <laughs> he'll get all of those. He has quite a large database yes. of emails. That's I think it's point. important to point it's out, by the way, need to need to impeach .com. Uh, I think it's important to point out, like this is cool, and yes, impeachment is, should be on the table, and we should be talking about it. But you want to really do something. Get out and vote. Right. Get out right. and vote. There is an election right. next week in Virginia, and right. if a Democrat wins right. the governorship of Virginia, that will send a very loud message to the Trump administration. Not only send them a message, but also will gum up whatever they're trying to get done. Yeah, right. and, exactly. and get out and vote in, which Democrats never do, in the midterm. They don't do... As well as they should. As well as Republicans do, I should right. say. In midterm elections, Democrats tend to stay home, don't stay home. Next year... So important to get out and vote. 
for state legislative races, especially governor's races, congressional races, and Senate races. Right. You really can't be putting all of your eggs into this impeachment basket. No. Like, it's I'm, part of right, it, and right. we should talk about it. We should have that discussion. But if you're waiting for Republicans to impeach Donald Trump, you're going to be waiting for another Forever. like seven and a half years. Okay. Right. It's right. not going to happen. I mean, there's a little, uh, little kind of basic one, two, three here. Where does impeachment have to begin? In the House of Representatives. Who controls the House of Representatives today? <laughs> Republicans. Republicans. If you want it to happen, you've got to put Democrats in charge. You know what that means? 25 seats. It's not that big. Right. It's not impossible. No. I mean, John Boehner in 2010, they won, I think, Republicans won something like 65 seats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 25 is definitely definitely doable yeah. next right. year. Right. But only they just have to find qualified candidates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, get and people I think out. They've, they've got them. They've got the qualified candidates. They got to get people out to vote. Right. Uh, and so yeah, right. good well, for perhaps, good for the petition. But right. as you said, Peter, that's not good enough. Right. N- need to impeach dot com. I'll sign up. Sign up today. But right. And perhaps you know the 1.1 million signatures suggest that people are more jazzed up politically right now, and hopefully that will encourage them to get out and vote. There but you go. I mean, we'll see. It's a lot easier to fill something out <sighs> online than to go physically somewhere. To vote, <laughs> right. I suppose. I'd be more impressed with 50 million. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be a lot, <laughs> especially in kinda 10 hard days. Kind of hard to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm curious if Trump will comment on it again because he tweeted about it right after and called yeah. Tom Sayer wacky and unhinged. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I'm surprised. I thought wacky was only reserved for uh, yeah. Rep. Frederica Wilson, yeah, but right. yeah. he was very upset about it because, again, Steyer strategically placed this ad on Fox and Friends. So Trump is watching his morning news. So he's watching. Then he sees this impeachment <laughs> petition commercial, and he's like, "I have to." Tweet. Audience of one. Right. By the way, that, that that is a brilliant advertising strategy. If sure. you want to get inside right. of Donald Trump's head, you appear on or you run an ad on Fox, Fox and, Friends. and Friends. Yes. Right. I'm surprised more people haven't done it. Yeah. You know? That's uh, a good point. It was very strategic but, on his team's part. But when you think about it, the producers of Fox and Friends are some of the most powerful people in the media today. Right. Because they really do influence the thinking of the president of the United States right. and Sean Hannity, you know, right. who Trump calls him every night after a show and then Hannity calls him. And he's one of these people saying you've got to be tougher on Mueller. Exactly. Uh, and you've got to keep talking about why aren't they investigating Hillary, keep calling it a witch hunt. You right, know, right, uh, right. Well, Trump's tweets reflect the Fox News chirons, you know. Everyone's mm-hmm. talking about Mueller and Manafort and Gates, and they have something up there about like Halloween candy and Hillary Clinton. I don't right? Really, yeah. like, I think the other day someone on Fox referred to it as the Clinton administration, yeah. mistakenly. No, no, no. Hannity like, called her President Clinton. Oh my God. Oh, we had that clip about the Trump administration. Who was Corey it? Lewandowski did oh, it. Right, Clinton right, right, administration. Right. But, but Sean Hannity also did it on Fox. Yeah. Called her President right. Clinton. Uh, it's right. uh, related. There's an interesting story on CNN's website this morning that um, several Fox employees, including, they said, one Fox major personality, I'd love to know who that is, uh, was that they were in touch with people at CNN yesterday saying how embarrassed they were by their coverage of the Mueller indictments. And we talked about it here because, you know, we have all three monitors in the studio and we were watching because the news broke at like uh, 8 a.m. East Coast yeah. time, right mm-hmm. in the middle of our show. And CNN and MSNBC immediately went full bore. And Fox was talking about 
a tax cuts or something, right, or right. or not even as yeah. serious as literally that. Literally anything but that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's incredible. The weather or something. <laughs> and people at Fox were just saying they were embarrassed that at least you know, even though it wasn't good news, it was the news. Right. Right. I'm sure. I mean, it's incredible. They're consistently across the board not covering the major issues that are affecting the nation. I mean, because it's like they know what their readers want and don't want. But yeah. uh, at a certain point, you have to. I mean, if the employees are feeling embarrassed. That shows how egregious the coverage is and how biased it is. And also, again, it's looking more and more like state-run media based on what Donald Trump wants and what he's tweeting to them and what he's responding to than it does an actual network that will give you the news that matters. Yeah. There is no daylight between the Trump White House propaganda machine and Fox News. Right. Who's really running Fox News? Kind of the Trump administration. Like they... They know what he likes. They know what he likes. He's the program director. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The director of the Trump show. <laughs> no. Every morning on Fox News. Trump TV <laughs> <No>. is real. <laughs> <laughs> Finally got it. Uh, and we know that that's his ultimate strength. This right. is a TV producer. Oh, yes. Right. Sure. Yes. There you go. He's man. just not firing anyone. Dr. McCammon, thank you for guest hosting, by the way, oh, too. And thanks for coming in yes, today. Thank you for having right. me. Back with this Sabrina Siddiqui, friend of Bill. Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? The big tax cut plan unveiled today by Republicans. Whoops. Not. They don't have it ready yet. They've had to delay it. <clears throat> it looks like they're not going to meet that Thanksgiving deadline either. Hello, everybody. There we go. The gang that can't shoot straight still can't shoot straight. It is the Bill Press Show bringing you that news and all the rest of the news of the day here from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And bringing you up to date. From uh, our perspective on uh, our pro- progressive perspective, again, on the news of the day and looking at you uh, coast to coast, there is lots and lots to talk about. A very frightening terrorist attack yesterday in New York City, leaving uh, eight people dead and 11 wounded uh, in, the, in a bicycle path on the west side, lower end of Manhattan. Uh, continued reaction and reverberations from uh, Robert Mueller's indictments of Paul Manafort and Rick Gates on Monday, plus the guilty plea of George Papadopoulos. Just some of the stories that we're covering, and this hour, with the help of uh, our good friend, friend of Bill, a big, um, important member of the Bill Press and Friends team, Sabrina Siddiqui. Hello, hello, from The Guardian. Hello. Everything good? Everything's great. How are you? I'm good, you know. and um, What up, Brina? What up? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Donald Trump leaving for Asia on Friday. I'm sure 
He's probably told them, can I get out of town now? Yeah, please. A couple of days Maybe early. A little early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know he wanted to just like hop on the plane when the indictments came down Monday. You Gotta know. go. Fired up, ready to go. See you later. <laughs> you know it, yeah. Well, he's excited to meet with Putin in Asia, right? I yeah. Mean, he's got a big right. meeting coming up with no. his best buddy. And yeah. Duterte, maybe. I mean, he's apparently be- developed a good rapport with uh, Philippines le- leader, if you could call him that, Rodrigo Duterte, who has overseen like thousands of extrajudicial judicial killings. Yeah. yeah. Donnie Man. loves dictators. <laughs> mass, <laughs> mass murderer Duterte. Anyhow, lots to get into with Sabrina Siddiqui and with you. And don't forget your comments. Welcome and courage needed here on the Bill Press Show. Send them to on Twitter at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple other stories making news. Hey, you're a yes. big fan of a nice beer, right, Bill? And a good beer? Uh, yeah, occasionally. Occasionally. You know, not as agree. long as there's pretzels around. As long as there's pretzels <laughs> around. You. Yes. Here's a beer that you might like. It's from Sam Adams. They just released their new beer called Utopia. Utopia. Really? They've done it a couple of different years in the past. This this year's version. Very, very, very high in alcohol. How al- how alcoholic is it? Twenty eight percent ABV. That is very, very high. I, just to give you a little bit of a, a like a like a Bud Light or a Budweiser yeah. between like four and five, yeah. six percent. This is twenty eight percent. It also costs two hundred dollars for a bottle. What? It's, how big is a bottle? It's it's about the size of like a bottle of wine. It's banned. Yeah, still no. It's banned in twelve states because it's so alcoholic. And who's putting it out? Samuel Adams. Sam Adams. Oh, whoa. Jimmy, you're a big Sam Adams guy. I was. <laughs> you were until this. Yeah. <laughs> this might have jumped the shark. Yeah, this him. is a little too much for yeah. me. I don't think it's I'll like be. You have like a few sips and you just pass out. Yeah, I mean, 28% is very, very high. I mean, even with, like, a Sam Adams Boston Lager, I can't drink more than three in a row. It's just, it's too heavy. To bring it's up too Boston. much. Yeah, of course. Well, it's, it's from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, if you're going to be doing some traveling here in America, the Centers for Disease Control put out analysis on the most... <laughs> Sexually diseased states in America. Which states have the highest oh, occurrences of sexually Al- transmitted diseases? Number Alabama. one is Alabama. Alabama is not even in the top Georgia ten. Georgia is race guess. Georgia is not even in the top ten. Number one is Alaska. Cal- <laughs> Alaska, wow. Mississippi, no. and Louisiana are the top three. I thought you had to be hot to get uh, sexually transmitted I guess diseases. Not. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. What do you say? It is Wednesday, November 1. Hello, everybody. And I know you got up early today. You want to know what's in the Republican tax plan? Uh, Promised to be unveiled today. Actually, an hour from now, that was the plan. Donald Trump was excited about it. He announced that it was going to happen. Republicans are going to unveil their plan and he said yesterday it was going to be the biggest and the best ever. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. They are so divided uh, in the House among House Republicans. Don't know what to put in it, what to leave out, how to pay for it. They just had to delay the whole show. 
uh, another embarrassing um, uh, show of a lack of direction on the part of congressional Republicans. Just one of the stories we're covering today and following today here on The Bill Press Show. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, on Free Speech TV, it's good to see you. And out in Chicago, on the great progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT, good to be with you there as well. We remind you to check out our podcast. Our podcast is showing breaking all kinds of records for the numbers of people signing up. Uh, you do so by going to BillPressShow.com. And more and more traffic, too, and more of you uh, checking it out. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com, where we are now featuring the second installment of our special series, The Making of Bernie Sanders. This is the big interview with Tad Devine, who is the chief campaign strategist for uh, Senator Sanders in the 2016 Democratic primary. Uh, and you get there, Peter, by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. It's P A T R E O N.com slash BP show. Right. And how about it to help us uh, through the news of the day for this next hour as a friend of Bill, our good friend Sabrina Siddiqui. Hello, Sabrina. Hello. All right. So, um, where do we start? That's uh, a lot to chew on. Now, who was this? Yeah. So, what about this guy, George Papadopoulos? Apparently, Nobody ever heard of him around the uh, Trump campaign or the Trump White House. Michael Caputo was on New Day with Chris Cuomo yesterday morning uh, saying, you know, um, we don't know who this guy is. The guy never landed on the campaign. He never had a role. He never got paid. So why he was did never Sam a Clavis entertain and he never did suggestion? Anything. George who? <laughs> well. Do you think they're going to get away with this? No, because there is a recording of Trump talking about his foreign policy advisory committee or team, and he mentions this individual by name. I mean, he's George Papadopoulos. There you go. Uh, he's an oil and energy consultant. Excellent guy. There's a photo of them sitting around a table. He's at the table with Trump. And now, look, I... Uh, and uh, another photo with Jeff Sessions. Another photo with Jeff Sessions. And there are emails um, that he, could be turned over to Mueller if he doesn't already have them. Um, like, you know he's he, got He them. obviously has enough of them to have uh, to have been able to bring forth uh, these charges, and you have Papadopoulos co- uh, cooperating. He's the one who pleaded guilty to misleading, um, to lying to Mueller, the FBI. Mueller turned him a proactive cooperator. Proactive cooperator. He, you know, he pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about the nature of his communications with the Russians. So Mueller knows actually what his communications with the <laughs> Russians were. Yeah. And the thing is, this is what they're going to try to do. This is someone who wasn't really involved with the campaign. They're trying to downplay the role of Paul Manafort, who was brought in as the campaign chairman and was in that role at the RNC. So overseeing the actual nomination of Trump um, as uh, to the Republican Party as their presidential nominee. And, you know, he also, of course, they're now saying was just Paul Manafort was involved in the delegate process when we know he was instrumental in changing the party platform, eliminating yeah. the party's stance, providing lethal assistance to Ukrainian rebels. Um, so that was something that was clearly influenced by Manafort's work um, on behalf of pro-Russian forces in Ukraine. Um so this is like the thing. This is this, the tactic you're going to see is pleading ignorance. Um, and they're going to do it with Papadopoulos as well. But the thing is, he's been cooperating 
with the FBI since at least July. And so the, they're actually operating somewhat in the dark. The, the people who are in Trump's orbit, they don't know what he's already told the FBI. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and, and it just makes me so happy because <laughs> this is just such a it's such a Trumpy story. Right. Like just all around because it's, it, you know, whether or not Donald Trump actually, like, I don't, I, I really, truly, honestly don't think he could pick George Papadopoulos out of a lineup, right? Like, they're right. saying they don't know who he is. I, I actually kind of believe that. I just don't think he's really in his orbit. But the point is, when you're president, mm-hmm. when you're surrounded by that many people, you have to get a grip. You have to have a hold of who is in your orbit or else you have to answer for it. Yeah, and he just but, doesn't want to answer for it. But I want to disagree with you on that because this happened when he, when he, Popped up. Yeah. It happened at a time when Donald Trump was being criticized for having no foreign policy mm-hmm. team. Yeah. So he went to co-chair Sam Clovis, mm-hmm. or big-ass Sam as we call him, <laughs> uh, uh, and asked him, in a hurry, you got to put together a foreign policy team. Mm-hmm. There were five people on it, I, I, I believe. But Carter Page was one of them. Yeah. And George Papadopoulos, Papadopoulos was one of them. Yeah. And as as we just heard, I mean, those five people were shown to Trump and saying, here's your team here, buddy. Yeah. So he did have a little exposure that at an important time. Well, sure. the other issue here is that let's say, okay, you have people like Carter Page, George Papadopoulos. They're not necessarily senior officials in the campaign. And it could be, if you're going to go like down this road of giving some benefit of the doubt, it could be true that Trump was not in, aware personally of contacts that they may have been having. Let's just follow this path mm-hmm. for a moment and entertain it. There are other people who are in higher ranking positions who did have contact with the Russians. Yeah. We are just scratching the surface. You still have that meeting with Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. with the Russian lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya that was set up under the pretense of receiving incriminating information for Hillary Clinton. So these people fit into part of a bigger picture of repeated contacts between Trump campaign officials and Moscow. And there are people above George Papadopoulos, who are part of these communications that we don't, we just don't yet know who they are. So you have Papadopoulos Car- referring to, I mean, in the in the transcript that was released by investigators, there's a reference to someone higher in the campaign who approved of certain uh, communications. And and so that who is that we don't yet know. It could be Paul Manafort. It could be someone else. Could yeah. be Clovis. It could be Clovis. And Clovis happens to also be now a nominee for Trump's cabinet. Carter Page is also, uh, he t- Monday night, he told uh, Chris, Chris Hayes, Hayes on MSNBC that he's he was emailing back and forth with, with Papadopoulos about meetings with the Russians. He said, Russia may have come up from time to time. Yeah, Nothing right. serious. Um, like, but what? also, he also said when Chris Hayes asked him, Oh, do you have legal representation? And he said, I have people helping me, some people helping me. I don't know, like, what Carter Page is doing, but he just keeps putting himself out there in the media. And it's almost like, is he asking Paul Manafort or guiding him through these interviews toward people? It's, like, not clear what what his... Uh, if he, I don't think he has a strategy. 
Is this is not clear if he even has like uh, all the screws, you know, tightened up there? Because the I don't idea know what's that he's happened. out there giving media interviews <laughs> while he's being investigated by Robert Mueller is insane. Where I genuinely hope, Carter, that you are innocent of everything. Because <laughs> you're doing a lot of talking. Well, I'm, um, I'm hoping it, it, it's either is... it's either uh, admirably bold or or, yeah. or, 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 or reckless. <laughs> Reckless is a nice way of saying of really, nice. really stupid. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's dropping information that could actually be critical to this investigation in these right. so, interviews. So the one uh, the the one chilling thought it seems to me that when there with their attempts to downplay any role Papadopoulos had is what the one of the top prosecutors working with Robert Mueller told the judge in the hearing. The New York Times quoted it in the hearing where Papadopoulos pleaded guilty uh, that the the attorney told the judge, quote, there is a large scale ongoing investigation of which this case is a small part. Mm. So anybody who thinks this is the end of the road, right? Well, this is part of, I think, this is a a tactic by Mueller. I am sending a message to people that you can either fall on the sword or you could use this as an opportunity to come forward and cooperate mm-hmm. um, because yeah. I know more than you do uh, or I know I know you know what you think I don't know so right. so it's 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 actually a, sort of also a, cr- a pretty typical tactic you know the FBI is employed when they've gone after mobs is you know find some of the people who are like smaller scale and maybe like bring them in on charges of you know tax evasion or or some sort of other money laundering and other things that you've seen you know he brought these charges against Gates and Manafort that have to do with among other things money laundering and 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 then you know I can compel these people then uh, to cooperate uh, by offering, you know, some sort of, let's say, plea deal or, or lesser sentence. All right. So he's sending that message. Who who are the people that he is sending that message to, you think? Uh, I mean, that is honestly um, an open-ended question, but I would think that someone like Jared Kushner is probably consulting closely with his legal team. Um, the, you know, I don't know about someone Michael like- Michael Flynn. Tr- Michael Flynn is certainly someone who's- Avoided Donald subpoenas. Trump Jr. <laughs> Trump Jr. You know is one of those where oh, this is his dad, and he's not the brightest bulb to say the least. Um, but I, I think that yes, there are people where the reporting that has all surfaced has actually been corroborated um, by what we've seen, what we saw on Monday, and 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 other developments that we've seen as a result of Mueller and his investigation. So some of the other reporting now that we haven't yet seen any um, follow up including people like Flynn and Trump Jr. and Kushner. I think, you know, those those bigger stories that we've almost forgotten about, like that meeting at Trump Tower in um, June of 2016. I mean, the, the people who are involved, the characters who are involved mm-hmm. in some of these pivotal moments, I think the message was being very much sent to them. Yeah, right. All the way up. Um, uh, there definitely will be. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders telling us Monday at the briefing that uh, they have uh, inside information that the Mueller investigation is winding down and it's going to <laughs> shut very soon. Yeah, that was that was wishful thinking. Uh, on another front, uh, in a meeting of business leaders yesterday, uh, Donald Trump crowing about how great, everything he does, of course, is the greatest in the history of humankind, mm. like the starting with the crowd for his inauguration, yeah. um, talking about how historic tax his reform? tax reform plan mm. is going to be. Uh, this is yesterday uh, around lunchtime. 
There's never been anything like this in the history of our country. It's cuts and it's relief and it's also reform. And frankly, it's also simplification. So we're covering everything. Never thing like never anything like it in the history of uh, this country. I'm surprised you didn't say of the uh, of the universe. Uh, and uh, it's going to be done. We're going to uh, this is going to be wrapped in a bow, wrapped in a package, tied with a bow, and placed under the Christmas tree. I want the House to pass a bill by Thanksgiving. I want all of the people standing by my side uh, when we get ready to sign by Christmas. And by the way, did you know that we're going to start saying Merry Christmas again? Oh, no. <laughs> Are we really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start saying Merry Christmas again. That goes with it, yeah. Uh, Merry then, Christmas, you don't get a tax reform bill. Right. <laughs> the House has to release a bill to pass it by Thanksgiving. Yeah, the embarrassing thing so far, as they keep talking about this great big plan, but there was no bill, there was no bill, but then they promised, Donald Trump said Monday, you're going to, Wednesday, you're going to see our plan. And last night, the Republicans finally had to throw up their hands and say, we don't have a plan. Yes. Pretty embarrassing, isn't it? This was inevitable, and a lot of the trajectory, I think, of tax reform is going to mirror what you saw with health care, where this is something that's so much easier to talk about in lofty terms. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we're committed to overhauling the tax code, to simplifying the tax code, uh, you know, and, and the, the same way in which they said, you know, we have a mission to repeal and replace Obamacare. How do you actually do that? is a much more difficult question. And Republicans in the House uh, did pass a budget uh, on a very party-line vote that unlocked this process or, you know, that known as reconciliation, where they could pass this on a simple majority vote. And, um, and, and that was sort of the vehicle that was going to be used to take up tax reform. And, and, and the divisions were already coming to the surface just you know, a week ago when they did that because you had the New York and New Jersey delegations, many Republicans from those delegations vote against uh, this, the, just the, the, the budget vehicle. And part of the reason why this uh, rollout was stalled is because those delegations and others who come from high-tax states, they're against um, what the bill would do, which is eliminate state and local tax deductions. I want um, to read one uh, quick little paragraph from Axios when they wrote about this. House Ways and Means Chairman Kevin Brady from Texas often says Republicans have spent more than half a decade working on this tax bill. But not 24 hours before the bill's big reveal, lawmakers had yet to settle on one of the most sensitive questions of all, how to pay for their right. proposed yeah. $5.5 trillion in tax cuts. Just a little detail. Right. Just a small, tiny little detail. Right. How to pay for five and a half trillion dollars in tax cuts? Spent ten years working on it. They spent seven years talking about Obamacare repeal. Yeah, right. I mean, your point earlier is they're good at talking about these issues. They don't know beans about government, and they can't blame anyone else because they've got both uh, both chambers in Congress and the White House at their disposal. Put up or shut up. And so, so you have that. You've got like this high these high tax states, some of whom might be called moderate Republicans, or certainly like more blue state Republicans. You know, like I said, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, they're saying, like, as much as this is one of the biggest revenue generators to eliminate the state and local tax deduction, obviously that's going to be problematic for for states who are considered high tax states. And and someone like Peter King wants to guarantee that the Senate's not going to go back on, like, you know, if they get rid of that 
provision, go back and put it, insert it, uh, reinsert it. One more thing, just that there's a fiscal for the middle class. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of they don't have like they don't own peach orchards or they don't own dairy farms or they don't have uh, you know uh, stock in the oil companies, so they're getting these oil subsidies. But they do pay state and local taxes. Yep. And this is the one. That and the home mortgage, right? Right. Are the one uh, opportunities that they have to keep their tax bill down. To keep their tax bill down. And maybe the 401k. So what they don't have to, right. They want to take those protections and opportunities away from the middle class. To take them away. And then you've got the flip side, which is, you know, some of the hardline fiscal conservatives who are saying this is going to balloon the deficit. Yeah. And so we've been talking this big game that we're the party of fiscal responsibility. And so. Well, that's when Democrats are in charge. (laughs) (laughs) And so exactly. And so now that they're actually in charge, and, and you had actually like some of the bill's proponents actually acknowledge in in, in in recent interviews, uh, you know, it's true. This actually will drive up the deficit. But that's, you know, trying to kind of pivot away. That's not really the point here, uh, because now that, as you said, it's Republicans who are in charge, you know, reigning in the deficit is not actually the point of this exercise. Um, and I, I I think that, you know, again, the it's, it's sort of like this, these two wings in the party. How do you bring them together? That's, you know, a, a never ending problem for Republicans. And also, um, you also have this, you know, this, this, this component of these being sort of moderate leaning, you know, blue states who are the ones who are opposing this, uh, eliminating the state and local tax deduction. I mean, that's, that's something that you also have a number of Republicans say it is not, um, the, the, their votes don't really matter in some ways. I mean, they need their votes to to cross this hurdle, but they don't really care about constituents in mm-hmm. high tax states because that's not their base, right? So then you've got this other um, this other issue that you also saw with Obamacare that a lot of the senators that were complaining, for example, about the drastic cuts to Medicaid, were also hailing from states where Republicans were like, "Well, you know, we we don't really we're not really like too concerned with what you have to say." Because you know, you ultimately like those you had this sort of urban-rural divide um, where they've sort of dismissed many of the concerns. I think of some of these well, lawmakers. I'll tell you one thing. I've said, <laughs> I I am more set in my prediction right now that there will be no tax reform or no tax cut bill by the end of the year. Uh, I, you know, just like there is no repeal of Obamacare. I mean, they all say this is it. This is our chance. It is their opportunity. This is going to be the one big win that we can chalk up outside of Neil Gorsuch. Um, I don't see it happening. It's 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 hard to see it happening. If you think about it, this is just the House, right? And this is just rolling out the bill. Then they have to actually pass the bill. And even if they do what they did with Obamacare in the House, which is they just they get it over the line despite their concerns, which is what a lot of those moderate Republicans did. Get it they, over to they, the they Senate. Just, Huh? Kicked yeah. it to the Senate and we're like, they'll fix it. Then you're going to have, you know, the Senate actually just discard the House plan and say, we're going to just put, you know, draft up our own plan, um, maybe take components of the House bill. But then they're going to have the exact same yeah. challenge of trying to figure out how do you pay for uh, these tax cuts? <sighs> or how do you bring together a Su- Susan Collins and Ted Cruz? And they have a lot less room, um, you know, to operate within because they can only afford to lose 
two votes in the Senate. In that case, of course, Mike Pence would operate as a tiebreaker. And even then, I mean, this is like we didn't even get this far with that with Obamacare, let alone we're talking about this hypothetical tax reform. Even then, if the Senate did manage to overcome that hurdle, they would still have to kick it back to the House because they would have amended whatever the bill was. And then they would have to pass it back through the House. All this, first of all, you know, by the end of the year, it seems highly improbable, much less when you're at the height of midterms and they're under even more pressure um, to to, you know, to account for the fact that on the one hand, they haven't done much of anything. But on the other hand, you know, there'll be facing attacks from Democrats about, you know, being disproportionately benefiting the wealthy and yada, yada, yada. You go down the list. You have seen um, it's sort of related, but uh, you have seen several members of um, the House and the Senate announce Republicans that they're not going to run for Mm reelection in the Senate, obviously, Corker and uh, and Flake. Uh, And in the House yesterday, one more Republican decided Jeb Henserling Henserling from Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Surprised? You know, obviously, when you're looking at a state like Texas, we're not talking um, as much about people like Charlie Dent in Pennsylvania and like, you know, some some of the Ileana Ross Letnin in Florida, although she's much, you know, much more senior at this point, I think. there's. But at the same time, I mean, this is someone who is extremely conservative, had previously been the Republican Study Committee. Um, you know, he's he's a he's a close ally of Paul Ryan's. And, and I think that there's there's sort of two things that are happening here. There are Republicans who are from competitive districts or states, if you're looking at senators, and they are, you know, really going to f- one face a challenge on the right and two also struggle when you're looking at more of a general election um, path forward. And then there's those who just, I think, don't think that this is worth it anymore, <laughs> that mm. they're just, they're just exhausted. Um, mm. it's a little bit more, I, you know, you, 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 they, they're looking at this in the age of Trump. And I just don't think that there is, um, much political upside if, or any forget political, just a much upside to being a member of Congress, especially, you know, in the Republican party, going there day in and day out with the with everything driven by Trump and the instability um to be to be associated with this presidency now this is just I'm speaking in a more general sense obviously right. with Henserling you didn't have like a great deal of you know this isn't like a corker flake moment yeah. um yeah. but I think but, you're going to see more retirements I mean I think you're going to see more retirements and it's and, going to be a combination of those factors of a difficult good. electoral picture that's being painted and just, uh, I think, uh, an acknowledgement that, you know what, this is just not worth it. I don't know whether it's a, whether you were in the uh, in the building yesterday. Uh, an unusual visitor came along to the Republican Senate caucus lunch yesterday. Yes. Roy Moore. Roy Moore. Roy Moore. Uh, in town. Uh, <coughs> Our friend Cam Joseph, by the way, got a great photo. Oh, yeah. So Luther Strange. Of Roy Moore talking to some journalists inside one of the cafes, and Luther Strange walks right by him. Oh no! To get a cup of coffee, and then walks right by him on his way out, and they did not talk. Yeah, Roy Moore has said that a Muslim should not be able to take the oath to be sworn into Congress. Keith Ellison Ellison should not be in the Congress. Should not be in Congress, and continues to maintain, as you 
are were the one who um really was at the at the origin of this question that homosexuality should be illegal. You know, and, it's funny. Um, <laughs> I, I saw in the in the New York Times story uh, covering Roy Moore's visit yesterday. It said, and who told and who said in two thousand and five that homosexuality should be uh, I- mm-hmm. illegal. It didn't say and told Bill Press on C-SPAN in 2005, <laughs> but you're right. that no. It was you. So and- he, how was he received yesterday? <laughs> it was, I think, lukewarm and it was cordial, but I wouldn't, you know, there was still a reticence um, on the part of uh, Senate Republicans to endorse him. They but didn't really is, embrace or endorse they him. They really, sort of- but this is, this is what Trump has <laughs> unlocked in many ways is you have more and more of these candidates who are emboldened, um, who would have maybe been considered by the party to be on the fringe. And now they've been injected into the mainstream because, you know, the standard bearer for a lot of their cause and, and some of the ideological uh, positions they've taken, if you can even call them ideological, is sitting in the Oval Office. And so, you know, John Cornyn, for example, did endorse Moore a couple weeks ago. He is the second ranking Republican yeah. in the Senate. And he said the same thing that Republicans said about Trump. Well, look, you know, this is really just the question of the lesser of two evils. I mean, if I'm going to pick right. between a Republican and a Democrat, I'm obviously going to pick a Republican. But how far are you going to go? Now, they obviously bent over uh, for someone like Trump who called for a Muslim ban, who's caught on tape bragging about sexually uh, assaulting women, and the list goes on and on about picked fights with Gold Star families, uh, made fun of, you know, criticized a prisoner of war, John McCain. I mean, you know, if they've acquiesced to that, um, then, you know, it's, it's pretty, I think, predictable at this point that moving into these midterms, you're going to see a lot more primary challengers, people like, Roy Moore, um, who rise up and ultimately are accepted by Republicans because that's what they they've sort it's sort of that you know that's what they've sort of acknowledged is the new normal for for the Republican Party. Right now, uh, it was an awkward moment for for uh, for many of them. They weren't going to publicly criticize him, but they weren't enamored with the fact that he was mm-hmm. there. Uh, so, Brittany Siddiqui with us for this entire hour as a friend of Bill Ryan Riley. From a Huffington Post, Huff Post, we keep have to keep calling it that. That's right. Uh, joins us next with more on the Mueller indictments and the rest of the news of the day, including John Kelly brief want to, wants to relitigate the Civil War. We'll be right back. I'm not going to get up here and relitigate the Civil War. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com/slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go on this Wednesday, first day of November 2017. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Winding up here, The Bill Press Show uh, for this first day of uh, November from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yep, the great members of the Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean building our communities today and getting ready to rebuild uh, our infrastructure tomorrow. 
Check out their website at ironworkers.org. Sabrina Siddiqui from The Guardian here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Uh, joined now by uh, Ryan Riley, a senior justice reporter from HuffPost. Hello, Ryan. Great Hello. to see you. Thanks for having me. How about it? Uh, together with our regular uh, team here this morning. So um, you get the prize, I think, for having the best headline of the day. I know... <laughs> Reporters don't always write the uh, headlines. This one was uh, actually me. I'm going to take credit for this, I think. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right thanks, because the headline is, uh, Team Trump again tries to brush off major scandal by infantilizing. Yeah, I was proud of that one. That was an SAT word, I feel like. Key staffer. I never... I never <laughs> spell it. <knew. laughs> oh, I use spell check for that one. <laughs> I never knew infantilizing was a word. Uh, maybe it wasn't a word until you coined it at any rate. <laughs> but uh, to, to prove your point... Uh, here is the former uh, communications director for the campaign, uh, Marshall Caputo, yesterday on uh, New Day, CNN, um, like, making this point. The guy never landed on the campaign. He never had a role. He never got paid. So why he was did never Sam a staffer, Clovis entertain never did anything. So he was in diapers. Yeah. Pretty much, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, he's a. I mean, I'm, I'm the same age as he is, so I want to say he's a relatively young dude. I want because I want to be able to claim that. But like, I mean, that he was still in this very key role in like you know in the um, in the campaign. And I mean, I think the key thing here is that you know, in comparison to most people who are charged with federal crimes, he's not. He's you know, he's no spring chicken. You know, I mean, a lot of people who get caught up in federal indictments. You know. Um, who, you know, maybe aren't highly educated and don't, you know, join a major campaign and are caught up in a drug ring or something, you know, end up being sentenced when they're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. I mean, this guy was 20, nice, 30 now. It's like it, it's just very strange to hear the campaign sort of do this, you know, idea, as, especially because they ran on this sort of tough on crime platform. And then suddenly when it's this case, it's like suddenly, oh, this little young guy didn't know what he was doing. Like if we put that standard by people who committed federal crimes, we could half the prison, po the federal yeah, prison population. Right. Where did he come from? He was, um, well, he claimed he was from the, it's a little confusing because he claimed he was from the, he uh, joined the Model UN or was a, a representative from the Model UN, but apparently that's a false claim, which is uh, an oh, interesting, what? yeah. The, Someone affiliated with the Trump campaign? False <laughs> claim? But just on like the Model UN. This is something you do in high school. I did that in high school. I went to the Model UN, the Hague. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This was, I think, like later on in life. I think it was when he was oh. after college or something. I mean, he oh. has, you know, he's a postgrad degree, you know, was. Highly educated guy. He was in the, and, and he was a Ben Carson advisor. He was, yeah. And that's sort of how he made the jump. But, uh -huh. you know, it, it's fascinating because, I mean, you have Trump directly praising him during the campaign, you know, sort of this great guy. And then now it's like, oh, who, who knew this guy? Nobody knows him. Um, yeah. and, and he was in touch with, we've talked about this earlier today, in, with senior campaign advisors. Yeah, right? I for mean, sure emailing back and forth. They knew what he was doing. Yeah. I mean, and sort of incredible because you see this photo of the national security team meeting on this key sort of March 31st meeting, which was right in the middle of all this, right? When he's sort of dealing with the Russians or de sorry, dealing rather with a representative of the Russians, this professor. Um, and there he is sitting next, you know, two chairs down from current attorney general Jeff Sessions. And it was apparently at another like fundraising meeting where he was sitting elbow to elbow with Sessions. So, I mean, this, you know, <laughs> They can claim this, make this low-level claim, but if that, I mean, you can call him a coffee boy, but that's not really true. How much, um, prob how much more problematic is this now for Sessions, who, as we know, obviously recused himself after his own meetings with the Russian ambassador were reported by news outlets that he didn't disclose? 
Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look great. Um, I did have an administration official um, sort of point me to this Daily Caller story that ran in August that sort of talked about this um, this March 31st meeting um, where this guy, you know, apparently brought up the idea of setting up a meeting with Putin and Trump. And the report was that, you know, Sessions sort of pushed back on it. But apparently that didn't have any impact on him because he continued to sort of have these relation, this relationship with the professor and continue to sort of uh, discuss this going forward. Now, one other thing that I think has gotten uh, partly lost in this whole story is, so we know that um, Paul Manafort, so Papandopoulos pleaded guilty to lying about the FBI and is cooperating. Correct. Manafort and Gates, who are charged with conspiracy against the United States, laundering money and all that kind of stuff, 12 counts, they actually pleaded not guilty. Yeah. Which means they're going to fight these charges or are they going to cooperate? I mean, pretty much everybody pleads not guilty at your first hearing. It would be sort of crazy to plead guilty because, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be able to work out a deal. There'd be no real advantage to it. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily mean he's gonna, they're going to fight. Um, what it does mean is that there's a lot of pressure on them to cooperate. Uh, and that's going to sort of be the key thing here, because I mean Manafort on you know one charge alone could be facing twelve years. I mean, really, I mean they could easily get him for twenty if they wanted, and he's you know, I mean, could they would... take his rugs? <laughs> 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 we don't know where all those rugs are. I, I, Igor, uh, I, my colleague Igor, actually had a great story where he called up all of the rug stores in <laughs> in Alexandria and tried to hunt down which one this was, um, and like all of them were like, no, not us. And then this one store that he oh, called yeah, up was yeah. like, oh. Um, yeah, you're gonna have to talk to our lawyer. Oh, I can't talk about that, or it's like it's kind. It was no, a little bit of a sketchy answer there. Right, and yeah. then uh, so they did find this <laughs> rug store in Alexandria, Virginia, where he spent nine hundred and thirty-four thousand three hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, uh, and then this oh it's identified as Vendor H, a Beverly Hills clothing <laughs> store, five hundred and twenty thousand. $440. Even on Rodeo Drive, that's a lot of money to spend. It is. And apparently... And also he's like wiring money to the men's clothing store. Like, right. you, know, you know, that's how we buy clothes, right, guys? Yeah. We like yeah. wire hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, and apparently Slate actually um, went to the store and said that the most expensive rug there was $10,000. So you got to figure out, like, I mean, which is an expensive rug, but... That's a lot of rugs. Like you're talking about a million dollars in rugs here. That's a lot of rugs you have to buy, even if you buy ten thousand dollar rugs. I don't know where you put all those rugs, even with all the, you know, various uh, homes that he had across the country. I can just see you go into the men's store and they put this suit and they say, "Yeah, what's the price on this? What's the fifty thousand dollars? All right, I'll take I'll ten take, of those." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, the, the, the money he was throwing yeah. around is just unheard of. Yeah. Right? But so back to. Uh, you think that they end and their their current status is what their house arrest is that it? Yeah, uh, Manafort's on a lot stricter house arrest, I believe, than um, the other man who was charged. But yeah, I mean, and basically, they, there was actually a document that laid out last night um, and went into a little bit more detail about why the government was a little bit worried about um, you know them fleeing. And apparently, Manafort has like applied for a passport. He's got three of them. Yeah, but he's three, a, yeah. Passport. three passports. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's on you know he's on house arrest. Um, Unlike the cooperating witness who actually had a nice uh, lunch yesterday in Chicago, actually tweeted about it. Uh, yeah. Papadopoulos? He did, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Went to a nice Greek restaurant. I called up the restaurant so like, right after he tweeted uh, tweeted out this photo, and they said, yeah, he was there for an hour, and, you know, 
just sort of chilling. <laughs> Good Between him and Carter Page, I just yeah. don't get it. Yeah, well, right, I just right, don't right. Get like, that. Nobody yeah. has more fun being under intense scrutiny <laughs> for treason against the United well, States. cooperating oh. with the FBI. A little conspiracy theory here. You know, the, Ob- the launch of the Obama Foundation. It's taking place yesterday and today in Chicago. <laughs> he lives in Is his that home. why Papadopoulos was in <laughs> Chicago? Bill, it's going to be on deep Fox State. and Friends <laughs> in like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, be careful. His family's in Chicago. So, but yeah, I mean, he apparently he took, he like, I think it was probably like 10 minutes it was up and then he, he took down the tweet. So I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to hear that conversation between the FBI handler and like, what are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is not part of the agreement. Come on. <laughs> this is a right. violation of the plea deal. Okay. So, <laughs> no, um, uh, uh, Manafort could face 15 years. Uh, Rick Gates, yeah, yeah. 12 years, uh, plus whatever fine they might have to pay. Uh, that would be an incentive to cooperate. Yeah. One would think. Yeah. I mean, there's uh-huh. no, there's no, I mean, especially once you've been indicted on, you know, on federal charges here, all sort of, I think all sort of all bets are out the window, right? There's no motivation sort of keeping him loyal to the Trump campaign at this point. Um, when he's considering, I mean, he could he could die oh. in federal prison if he like he likely will die in federal prison if he if he doesn't get a plea deal. Yeah, and I mean, but, Trump has already thrown him under the bus, so yeah. there's no I wouldn't think there's loyalty there. I, I asked Sabrina this question. I'd like to get your take on it. In in that, um, you know, Sarah Sanders saying, "Oh, this is uh, the end of the road for the Mueller investigation. We have we have news or we have inf- inside information that it's winding down, you know, that they're running out of gas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas um, at the Papadopoulos hearing where he pleaded guilty in federal court, mm-hmm. one of Mueller's team, whoever the attorney was, said, quote, told the judge, quote, there's a large scale ongoing investigation of which this case is a small part. Yep. So that's clearly sending a message but it's telling the judge something, but it's also sending a message to certain people. Who do you think those people who are getting that, that the Mueller is sending that message to? I mean, uh, we talked about earlier. Yeah, I'm I curious. Get, Let's see if you have this. Yeah, name. I think it's all the people who are sort of unnamed. You know, who are sort of unnamed here, right? I mean, it's the people who we, you know, we may sort of know who this person is, but it's the people who like are sort of named in this in the um, in the document in the Papadopoulos so, uh, charges. What name some names? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, don't I mean, know. who should be who who should be nervous? I mean, everybody who's involved with this. I think you know everyone who is on those emails. I think should definitely be. So, Very nervous. Kushner? I was, we don't know if he's on the emails. Um, Kushner, he I think. He was at the meeting. Yes, he was at the meeting. That would be more like a, my guess was even people like Kushner and to some extent, sure, even a Trump Jr. People who have. Trump Jr. My, but Mike Flynn. Michael Flynn. Oh, Michael Flynn should be very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, well, actually, there's a lot we don't know. I mean, in theory, Michael Flynn, we haven't heard from Michael Flynn in a while. Michael Flynn, there's a. We don't know what the status of the right. We didn't actually know about Papadopoulos. Obviously, no. That, that was the whole like one-two punch. Yeah. Because you had this sense of relief. The White House felt like this yes. was an, almost mm-hmm. a good story for them with Manafort. They're like, mm-hmm. you know what? This predates the campaign. Like they were, you had Trump tweet like, oh, this is not you know the real story is crooked Hillary and Dems. This was before Manafort. <laughs> years before Manafort was yeah. involved in the campaign, and then came the the the, the real I think bombshell about Papadopoulos and then all of a sudden Trump's Twitter feed goes silent <laughs> and Sarah the lawyers Sanders just grabbed the email. phone from him and he said that. Sarah Sanders yeah. was saying that this is going to wrap right. up soon that's because no. they have nothing left to say I mean that briefing I'm sure Ryan I mean you know it's striking because all, all that they could say is stuff that they can't actually prove to the public oh we had nothing to do with this 
right. the, the president wasn't involved. They had that. This is all just like statements that you're they're they're hoping some members of the public might accept as fact, but really ultimately can't be proven. No, I mean to me after Monday, this whole line of attack. It's a witch hunt. It's fake news. They ought to be talking about Hillary and the uranium deal. All, all that's, I think that, 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 that whole line of attack just melted, just disappeared once Mueller actually comes out with indi- actual indictments. Yeah, I mean, the, it's, and, it's you, for real. It's serious. Yeah, I mean, like, what, I mean, the question that oh, I think a lot of members of the public are probably asking is, you know, if there's nothing to hide here, why did he lie to the FBI? I mean, this is a highly educated guy. He should have known you do not lie. Like that's it's you know it yeah. goes back to yeah. that sort of Watergate yeah. saying it's not the crime, it's the cover up. That's the he same lied case to here. The FBI because he knew what he was doing was wrong. Right. You don't lie to the FBI about what you had for breakfast. I mean, you could like you don't lie to the FBI about anything. Full, you don't lie to the FBI. Period. Period. I mean, if Full you stop. even look at Full the stop. events that led us to having this special counsel in the first place, including the firing of Comey, it's the same thing with, with Trump. It's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Yeah. It, it's like he may, we're not sure exactly what crime Trump, if any, may be guilty of, but he's, he might be guilty of trying to obstruct justice because that's that's actually, you know, based on the actions and the... I think he's uh, almost know, admitted that. But of course, yeah, that's but based to, on uh, the actions that, you know, with respect Mueller. to Comey and others, that's what you've seen. Well, um, let's just say, would you agree, Ryan, that from everything we know and can see and that we know about Robert Mueller and we've seen about this first move, that this is not the end of the road, that will there will be other charges, other indictments. Yes, I'd say that for sure. And I would definitely say also that there's definitely something we don't know right now. There's yeah. something about this case that we don't know. I mean, because they, <laughs> right, they're I dancing around a, thing, a lot of things in that indictment and a lot of this paperwork. There's something else going on. You know, history does repeat itself. Um, someone pointed out that uh, Paul Manafort, whenever he did this stuff, he is the first campaign manager presidential campaign manager to be indicted since John Mitchell mm. in the early days of Watergate. Yeah. How'd that turn out? How'd that turn out? <laughs> mm-hmm. it still yeah. took a while, though. It still it took, took a, a while. while. Yeah. This is moving faster than Watergate did. You could say that, yeah. 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 I mean, if you go back, it took a long time for the Watergate thing to uh, mm-hmm. unravel and move all the way up, up the chain uh, as it did. Uh, meanwhile, what we really should be talking about is the Civil War. <laughs> uh, oh, <God>. Yes. <laughs> uh, so... Let's just remember, so why is the first question the chief of staff for the president of the United States would appear on the debut Fox show of Lar Ingram? Uh, who knows? But he did. And why then he would go into talking about the Civil War and Robert E. Lee? Who knows? But here he is first um, praising Robert E. Lee. I would tell you that Robert E. Lee was an honorable man. Uh, he was a man that uh, gave up uh, gave up his country to fight for his state, which in 150 years ago was more important than country. It was always loyalty to state first back in those days. Yeah. So uh, now we're, it's different today. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole thing that we should that that the states were more important than keeping the union together. Number one, and um, if only. The Northerners have been willing to compromise. There might not have been any civil war. The lack of an ability to compromise uh, led to the civil war. And uh, men and women of good faith on both sides made their stand where their conscience uh, had them make their stand. Why? Why does he go there? Why? As the chief of staff, the president of the United States. 
it's definitely strange. I don't know what the compromise could be, but I mean, you well, know, really. Uh, on the issue of slavery, yeah. I mean, this is uh, uh, Several uh, people pointed out yesterday, like Frederica Wilson, God bless her, Congresswoman from Florida, yeah. said, what is the compromise you were suggesting between keeping people slaves or well, giving actually, them Well, actually, this other thing is that freedom. Lincoln was not an abolitionist to begin with. He actually was pursuing compromise and was open to allowing, you know, the Southerners to keep their slaves. But then, you know, there was questions of expansion. That's where he drew a line. And there were multiple compromises that were reached prior um, to, you know, actually going forth with going to war. Other other things that's important to know, even before we get into the Civil War, is if you're looking at the declarations for the states that did, did secede from the Union, they specifically reference the institution of slavery yeah. as why they are go- making this, as what was the motivation behind that declaration. The southerner among us speaks here. <laughs> hi. <laughs> oh, hi, hi. Oh, I, for, yeah. for, here's the thing. Like, yeah. I, I have heard yeah, many, South many, many, one of them. many defenses First, for the Civil yeah. War, right? And where, where I grew up in South Carolina, it was referred to almost exclusively as the, the wall war of, of northern, northern aggression. aggression. <laughs> yeah. yes. Or the war Full between stop. the states. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So I've never heard the argument I've heard, trust me, I've heard plenty of arguments about like why the Civil War happened growing up, but I've never heard the argument that, that, that they just wasn't, weren't willing to compromise. Mm-hmm. It was either the Civil War wasn't about slavery, it was about states' rights, and the Confederacy is about heritage and not hate. But never, ever, 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 ever have I heard the argument that, oh, well, you know, we were looking for a a civil compromise and we were trying to figure out a way to do this. And it's just, it's so weird from the Trump people to keep coming out and trying to paint people who were definitely the bad guys. I think we can say through the lens of history, the Confederacy were the bad guys. And I understand that a lot of your grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-great-grandparents had a role in the Confederacy, but they were the bad guys. (laughs) I understand that. But, like, we need to stop saying that that there were good people among the bad guys. Uh, Well, that's, that's... That's what John Kelly chose to um, make. Well, as this his is his statement. violent. There is violence on both sides. This and is the echo of Charlottesville. Fo- you know, many fine people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but this is but actually to me. I'm sure Ryan can chime in too. This is actually very revealing about John Kelly because there's yeah. all been all this conversation about he's, he's an adult in the exactly. room and he's just there out of some patriotic duty. Exactly. But I think the more you learn about him the more you see, and you can separate his service from this. It's not that hard to separate someone's service from the fact that he is now in a political role and he is, by all accounts, a true believer, if not more so in some ways than Trump. When Trump was, according to New York Times profile, asking what level he should cap refugee intake at, Kelly reportedly said between one and zero and one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Trump ultimately right. went with 45,000. <laughs> 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 so, I, mean, I question the role of the chief of staff here. Yeah, know? I mean, I think what's interesting is I think a lot of people who have reported on Gitmo is like every time that we sort of return to John Kelly, you know, Spencer <laughs> Ackerman has brought this up on Twitter a few times where he said, yeah, like this was this is who he is during the yeah. coverage of, you know, he was in, he oversaw Gitmo. And when we were covering it and when there was this hunger strike a few years ago when he was overseeing it, he like shut down like, you know, media access. He like shut down. Um, he stopped putting out proactive releases on how many people were hunger striking. And I mean, like it was pretty tough on, you know, so people sort of, I think, there's this whole idea that oh he's the you know adult in the room coming in but no he this is he's definitely an ideologue. I think he's as bad as Kellyanne Conway uh, or Sarah Huckabee Sanders. But but John Kellyanne Conway. But of yes. But of course 
Good. Of course, according <laughs> to the uh, doors over there. Get it? <laughs> according to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, right? Uh, we cannot say anything about John Kelly because he's a four-star general. Here she is yesterday at the briefing about those those comments <laughs> where she said it was just totally disgraceful. Um, to say anything about. Here we go. I think it is absurd and disgraceful to keep trying to make comments and take them out of context and mean something they simply don't. Yeah, and remember a couple of weeks ago she said, How, mm-hmm. do you want to pick a fight with a four-star general? Yeah. It was very inappropriate. What do you mean? I mean, he definitely, you know... He's fair game. He definitely, whatever you want to call it, spoke, mislied, or lied, whatever. <laughs> Misspoke. Mis- 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 is lied. going to be Mis- a word to the Trump people. <laughs> that, is, that is the Kellyanne Conway um, vocabulary no. at work. Mis- yeah. Lied. Well, you misled, lied, whatever you want to call it. About, I mean, about the congresswoman. I mean, I, that yeah. wasn't what happened. That wasn't an accurate betrayal of what happened. She did not take credit for getting the funding. Uh, for that FBI building. But they, and, and they clearly want to set him up he, as he, out of bounds, he right? Chose, he chose this role. No, And, yes. and he chose yes. to go after the congresswoman. Yes. He could have actually just gone and delivered that statement about what happens when a service member dies and about the, the nuances of what grieving families are going through, how difficult it is to make the call, what he meant by saying Obama didn't call him, all of that. Like all of that was he was trying to explain uh, and provide broader context for people who aren't familiar with uh, this process, but then he chose to make an attack on a sitting congresswoman where he had the facts right. wrong, and right. and he chose to go on Laura Ingraham, right former right wing radio talk show host, you know, to go on her show and 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 engage right. in this culture war over monuments well, in the Confederacy. We've seen a lot of chiefs of staff, right? Yeah. Because they usually just last a couple of years. I know personally several of them. There has never been one who goes into the White House briefing room and engages in politics, politicking, or never one would go on any of the cable shows, let alone Fox News, and engage in this kind of politics. So he has basically decided that his role is to be out there just like all the other Trump staffers playing politics. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that way for a while, right? I mean, I think this is a new yeah, development. Yeah. And I think it's in part because they do they they are taking advantage of of his stature. That because they, nobody they, else has any credibility, right? And they see and that he, he doesn't has credibility, have any left. <laughs> he so had that's some. why they're putting him out there, and he's willing to be put out there. Yeah, right. You got to admit, you know, he 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 agreed to do it, right? Yeah. To yeah. play to play that role is uh, to his discredit, uh, I believe, indeed. Well, what a great uh, time together here. Ryan Riley, thanks so much. Uh, Follow Ryan at HuffPost.com. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, the wonderful Sabrina Siddiqui here from The Guardian. TheGuardian.com. The rest of the day is yours, folks. Make the most of it, but come back tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is The Bill Press Show.